This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery and the Worth Recovery Podcast. This is Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. Today's episode, I don't know why, but for some reason recording this episode today, I feel really nervous. And I haven't felt nervous to record an episode for a while. And a lot of times when I feel that way, I know that it's that that um, anxiety See, look, I'm like stumbling over my words. That's not normal for me either. That anxiety means that I'm really excited about the message usually that I have to share. And also that I want to make sure that I convey it in a way that um, hopefully works for you and really that that you understand how I feel and, and that we can have a, a moment together. So that's what I'm hoping for in this episode today. This um, episode, th- let me tell you what happened. So... If you listen to this episode or this podcast at all, you know that I am a huge, huge fan of the TV series Bones. There's so many different reasons for that, and I could tell you all the many crazy lessons I've learned from that TV show and and how much it just like speaks to my soul for so many different reasons. Um, a few months ago when my mother passed, it's been four months now, which is totally crazy to me. Four months ago when my mom passed... Um, I started watching the series again from the beginning. I just needed some something comforting and a little bit cathartic and known. And there's so many. Anyway, for lots of reasons, I started watching it again from the beginning. And I just hit a couple nights ago this like really pivotal moment in the series. Um, just this really pivotal episode. And... So if you aren't familiar, just like one minute summary here real quick. So the two main characters, Temperance Brennan and Celie Booth, like Temperance is a forensic anthropologist and Celie Booth is an FBI agent and they work together and solve crimes. Um, she It's called Bones because she works only with bones, with skeletons. And, and so they work crimes together where the flesh has been, you know, eaten away and it's just bones and it's a little gory and... It's really cool, though. I watched an extra about how they created all the bodies. It was amazing to me, like how they do all those different things. Back to the point here. So that's like the premise of the TV show. And it's a classification as like a procedural, meaning it's pretty much the same thing, right? Every week we have a new body. We have a new case to solve and new information. And in the course of and it just is repeats every week like that. That's the whole kind of thing. But the great thing is the relationships that happen in these in these episodes and these people that build these bodies, they were talking about, you know, that the whole premise of the show is about relationships and how these different people interact. And it's this body that brings all these people together um, that forces them to interact with each other. And so we uh, throughout the course of the show, like at first, Booth and Brennan don't get along. Right. And they um 
they struggle in their relationship. And then we go through this period of time where they're like opening up and really good friends. And he's really emotional and she's more um, logical and objective and um, and that she doesn't really feel like she confines to or uh, conforms to society norms and just a variety of different things that kind of cause this tension in their relationship. And then we get to the point where Celie takes a chance. Uh, Agent Booth takes a chance and tells Temperance, I, I love you. I think we should give this relationship a chance. And she turns him down. She says, no, I, I can't do this. I'm a scientist. Like, I don't believe in love like you believe in love. I don't believe that two people were meant together, you know, meant to be together. She doesn't really even believe in monogamy and all these different things. And and she just says, I can't do it. I, I, I will end up hurting you. Everybody that I, you know, love, I end up hurting. And, and so she's unwilling to give it a chance. And then they go their separate ways and and they're forced kind of back together. And when they're forced back together, Celie has moved on and has a girlfriend and that he really loves. And then they get back to and then they are forced to work together. And in this episode, this particular episode that I saw, this really kind of pivotal moment happens where uh, the the victim, the body that they find, right, is another scientist um, very, very similar to Bones and the fact that she didn't have family, she didn't have friends, she didn't have a significant other, she had no children, she was the top of her field and she went missing and they didn't find her. And and Bones has this moment where she's just like, this is me. She kind of over-identifies with the, um, with the victim in this and she feels like everyone's dismissive of her, of her identification and she feels like this person is her. And and she really, really struggles. And as she's struggling in this episode, Sweets, who's the FBI um, uh, therapist, there, but there's another word, psychologist, sorry, FBI psychologist that's involved in the show and, and kind of a, a part of their team. He comes to visit her because everyone's been noticing how distressed uh, Temperance is throughout this case. And he's sitting in her office and and she asks him the questions, you know, like, like when you look at this, she holds up kind of the, the case file with the picture and the description of the victim. And, and she says, you know, when you look at this, what do you see? And he says, what, what do you want me to see? And she kind of looks at him because she hates psychology. And she kind of looks at him and she's like, it's me, sweet. It's me. Like, this is, this is me. And he kind of sits back in his chair and he's like, I, I can see that. I can see why you would think that, you know? And, and then she asks him the question. She's like, this is me. Like, look at this description. This is me. Like, and she says, don't you even know me at all? And he sits there for a second and he says, temperance, we, we know you as much as you will allow us to. And she kind of dismisses him, but sits there for a second. And then they kind of have this further exchange. And, Finally, she asks him to leave, you know, her office and she's just frustrated. And the first time I saw that, so that's, that was a lot more than a one minute synopsis. Sorry about that. But the first time I saw this episode, I really thought about that question. Don't you even know me at all? And Sweet says, well, we know you as much as you'll allow us to know you. And I think the reason that that really hit me at that time was because I had just broken up with, um, actually, let's. Let's call it what it is. I had just been broken up with. It was 
kind of mutual. And so sometimes I claim it, but it really was not. He broke up with me, um, a guy that I had been dating and it was, I was in recovery and it was the first kind of relationship I had in recovery. And, um, we sat across from each other at a restaurant and he said to me, I, I never know what you're feeling. I never know what you're thinking. Um, I never know what's going on inside your head. And I, I thought I was super transparent and here, here he is telling me like, I don't even know who you are. And that had just happened to me. And I was contemplating that idea of like, how do you not know who I am? Cause I, I, I thought that we knew I, I, I was just really f- baffled by the whole exchange. And, and when I listened to this episode and of this, of bones and saw this question, we know you, or this comment, we know you as much as you'll allow us to. And he goes on to tell her, like, we know that you're a very private person and we, and you like to keep things to yourself and we respect that as your friends. And I thought, wow, like I forget sometimes how much we have a choice in how well people know us. And I, at that point in time, had not really been called out on that before about how close or not how close I let people get to me. Um, and so I kind of thought about this whole idea and, and that's the topic I want to talk about today, which is the courage to be known, the courage to allow yourself to be known. Now, fortunately for me, I had a great therapist when this happened and I remember sitting in his office crying (laughs) I think like I went a whole, like, I think I went like two years before I had a, a therapy session where I didn't cry. We used to kind of count it. It was a really big joke for, between us for a while. But the whole idea here is that, you know, the courage to be known, the courage to put ourselves out there and to allow people to know us. Now, because sex addiction is an intimacy disorder, of course, this is going to be something that we struggle with. We struggle being known. And I've talked to so many of you recently um, and just people in my own circle that struggle with this fear of abandonment or this fear of like, for me, I never recognized it as a fear of abandonment. Um, I remember for me, it was this whole fear that someone would know me like I just felt like if someone really knew me, like really knew me, um, that they probably would not choose me, right? If they knew me, everything about me, then they would just write me off. Like they would not even be close to me. And so I felt like I had to hide a lot of who I was and a lot of myself because, oh man, still an issue for me sometimes, right? Because if people knew me, warts and all, that's what my therapist used to say, Aaron, he would always be like, if people knew me warts and all, then they would not choose to be with me or they would not choose to be my friend or they would not choose to even have me in their life. And that was the fear that I had. And I had that fear, like that's something I've carried with me my whole life is that if somebody knew me, warts and all, everything about me, they would not choose to be with me. And that's all I ever wanted. I felt like that's all I ever wanted was for someone to know me, warts and all, everything about me, every, everything that there was to know about me and choose to be with me, choose to be my friend, choose to keep me in their lives. And I felt like there was just so much about myself that 
people didn't like um, that I kept so much of myself hidden and bottled up and I wouldn't share. Now, fortunately, again, because I had a really great therapist, um, he gave me different ways to challenge that, that belief about myself. I had this big fear of, of anything, of allowing people to know me at all, even stupid things like uh, what kind of food I liked, like what, what were my favorite kind of restaurants, right? And I realized recently again how much this still is part of my life a little bit in, in weird ways um, when I got flowers for my birthday. So my birthday was about a month ago and I received some flowers and again, I know it was well-intentioned, um, but the person that sent me flowers sent me a flower, type of flower that I really don't like in their favorite color. <laughs> so it wasn't even like about me, right? It had nothing to do with me. It wasn't my color or my colors or things that I like. It wasn't my type of flower that I like. Um, and it kind of brought home to me this idea that people don't always know me as well as I think that they do. Or at Christmas, I received some gifts for Christmas and I thought it was some jewelry. And I was like, you don't even know me. You have no idea who I am or my style or anything about me. And for a long time, I blamed that on other people. You know, if, because my childhood trauma and my intimacy disorder makes me highly alert to the people around me. And so I'm very aware of what's going on. I'm very aware of what they're doing, how they feel, how they respond to things. I would say even like hyper aware, hyper vigilant about the people around me and knowing what they like, what they don't like, how they respond to things, what is best for them. And at the same time, I'm very, very good at keeping that information about myself pretty hidden. And I did that, you know, I think it was, it's a survival mechanism, right? I did that out of safety for myself. I did that out of protection. And for a long time, it served me very, very well because it protected me. I protected myself by not putting myself out there um, for people to make fun of or bully or harass or anything like that. I became somewhat invisible um, by not sharing who I was and by not telling or letting people know me, right? Because we know people as much as they'll allow us to know people, to know them, right? Just like Sweet said to Bones, we know you as much as you'll allow us to know you. And so I had this therapist, again, kind of going back to the story, I had this therapist who would challenge me and make me try to think of different ways that I could uh, allow myself to be known. Even simple things as far as like my friends get together for dinner and they say, where do you want to go to dinner? And I say, eh, I don't care. I'm super easy with food. So you decide and we'll just meet you there. And I would say that all the time. And it's true. I don't really care about like where we eat. You know, I'm pretty easy with food, but there are some things I don't like. Like I don't like sushi at all. I can't tell you the number of times I've been to sushi restaurants simply because I would not say I don't really like sushi. <laughs> um, and I force myself to eat something, right? And people say, oh, I didn't know that you didn't like sushi. Well, yeah, I don't really. Um, just things like that. And so forcing myself to speak up about my own opinion, 
you know, where do you want to go to dinner? Well, um, I, these three options sound really good to me. What do you think? You know, does one of those sound good to you or, you know, do you, are you open to something else? But just stating my opinion, that was one thing that my therapist challenged me to do, just stating what I wanted. And over the course of time, I started to, to allow myself to be known a little bit better, to allow myself, to allow people into my life um, in a little bit different ways than I had before. Now, this idea of having the courage to be known, because it does take courage to allow that, especially those of us in addiction or those of us that came from traumatic backgrounds where a protection of ourselves was our survival mechanism. That was how we survived. That's how we got through those traumatic events. And so we're kind of programmed to just make it about the other person and not make it about us. Um, We're programmed to protect ourselves and to hide details about our lives, about who we are, so that they can't come back to bite us in some way and to focus on the other person. It's a survival mechanism. And like I said, it served me very well for a long time. If you're still in that mode, it's okay. It served you probably very well for a long time. I also know from personal experience, it's an incredibly lonely place to be. It's so lonely. And I remember many times thinking to myself, if people just loved me, you know, enough, they would know me, they would care, they would try to make the effort to get to know me and not recognizing that part of that was my own protection, right? I protected myself from other people. Maybe people were, in fact, not maybe, I know people were trying to get to know me. And I know that in so many ways, I blocked those efforts, not really conscious of what I was doing, not really aware that what I was doing was, in fact, blocking their efforts to get to know me. The buzzword that we talk kind of about right now that is similar to this is that idea of being vulnerable. Being vulnerable means having the courage to let someone in and let someone know you. Usually it's like by stating my need or asking someone to help me in a way. But I I think that even just allowing yourself to be known is a really, really important piece of vulnerability. Now, the good news is throughout this whole thing, right, is that um, temperance makes some conclusions in this episode. And one of the conclusions is she needs to open herself up more and take more uh, care about the relationships around her in her life. And and it's really a big switch in her character um, in this part of the season and, and the rest of the conclusion of the season. It's what gives her the courage to allow people to love her. It's what gives her the courage to allow people closer into her life to understand who she is. And it's what allows people to, allows her to start to love other people as well and to become a strong person. She's in a couple episodes later, she makes, I haven't gotten there yet in my second, my, I don't know which visit this is to this season, but um, in a couple episodes later, she makes the comment, you know, she says, I'm, I'm getting stronger. And the, um, she's talking to Booth and she's like, I'm, I'm getting stronger. And Booth says, you've always been strong. And she says, no, 
I've been impervious, right? So like an impervious, and she explains an impervious substance is a substance that, uh, that doesn't allow anything in that it's not necessarily a strong substance because nothing comes in, right? There's, it's just impervious to, to love, to relationships, to anything around it. It's impervious to water, to fluid, to environmental conditions. It's just, it's a substance that is, it's not considered strong because it doesn't have to resist anything or stand up to anything or go through any failings or go through any trials or testing. It just is. It's called impervious. And it's not affected by things. Whereas a strong substance is something that stands up. Stands up against um, pain. Stands up against loneliness. Stands up against harm. Stands up against uh, being hurt, uh, c- conflict, being in relationships. It's that whole idea of, of being able to open your heart. Like Brene Brown says, like wholehearted living, open your heart, um, and allow people in and be hurt at the same time and allow that to help you to grow and be stronger rather than, than defeat you. And I, I just love this analogy. For me, it was just such a great reminder because I struggle allowing people to know me. And you might listen to that and think, whatever, Amy, you have this whole like podcast and this whole like public face and you put your story out onto like the internet and you, you know, let people listen to who you are all the time. And that's true to a point. Because I control what you know, right? I control what the story is. I control what I tell you and what I don't tell you. It's one of the reasons that podcasting has been difficult for me over the last year or so. And I'm starting to pick it back up. But the idea of I had a little kind of overexposure and I wasn't sure. And I was going through some things that I wasn't sure I wanted to share or talk about. And and so being able to know and have the courage to be known and to allow people into my life. Now, this doesn't mean I want to just put a little uh, disclaimer here, right? A lot of times, um, especially in addiction, like we are, um, or like I am, I shouldn't say you are, I don't know if you are or not, but like I am, um, what one of the barriers to allowing myself to be known is the shame that I feel about my addiction. And I've seen people in recovery who go from being shameful, uh, just full of shame to being shameless, right? Which is the opposite side of that pendulum. Shameful and shameless. Both are not helpful, right? So I'm not advocating in the courage to be known. I'm not saying like, tell all. I'm not saying go out to everyone and just proclaim who you are in a way that's shameless, right? In a way that's Uh, just as harmful as being shameful or keeping yourself isolated and unknown is being overexposed, being so known and exposing yourself in ways that are not healthy and are not true intimacy. We see that all the time in social media, right? Those people that overpost and overshare, those that are shameless. We see it all the time in reality TV, um, that whole concept. And those two sides of that are two sides of the same coin, being shameful and shameless, right? And and being known is neither of those. Being known is not about being shameful and being known is not about being shameless. 
being known still means doesn't mean that everybody gets in. What it means is that I have people in my life that I can be 100% transparent with. And not not everybody in my life gets 100% transparency from me, but some people in my life do. And what that does is it does so much for me as a person because it allows me to see that even with all my failings and failures and fallings and character defects, I am worthy of love and affection and acceptance. And when I have people in my life that can reflect that back to me, that know my whole story and that can accept me for who I am and where I'm at, that changes the trajectory of my life. That changes how I feel about myself. That changes how I feel about other people. That changes my confidence level. It changes my desires. It changes who I am fundamentally when I have that kind of love and acceptance in my life. And maybe you had that from your parents. That's not something that I had from my parents, but maybe you did and that was awesome. Maybe you have that kind of acceptance from siblings or from teachers or a therapist or a sponsor or someone in your group, whatever it is, maybe you have that kind of acceptance. And so you kind of know what that feels like, but maybe you've lived a long time without it. I lived a long time without it, a long time, but it took a lot of courage for me to be able to say, okay, I'm going to take down this really hard shell and allow myself to be known a little bit more than I am. So we're getting to the end here, right? So conclusions. I want you to know, I hope that you know, um, that the cur- it takes a lot of courage to open yourself up and to be known. It takes a lot of courage. And if you have even just one person in your life that you are completely known to in a healthy way, that's more than a lot of people have. If you are one of those people like I have been that you have just kind of boarded yourself up and not really allowed yourself to be known, I feel your pain and I know that loneliness, that loneliness of being shut up and just kind of, I always used to explain, like, I felt like I was watching the world through glass, you know, that everybody could kind of get along and have fun. And I was just sitting there watching the world through glass. Um, And if that's you, I know that pain and I know that loneliness. And so what I encourage you to do today is to have the courage to be known a little bit more. And, and maybe that's, you're going to share something with somebody. I remember the first time I shared my addiction with somebody who wasn't an addict and the amazing acceptance that that brought to me in my own life and the amazing response I got and how supported and loved I felt in spite, not in spite of, but because of my honesty and because of the things that I had gone through And it was a very healing moment for me. And I know that it takes a lot of courage to make that happen. So if that's you, if you need to be a little bit more known, I hope that you can do that today. Think about that. What are ways I can be a little bit more known? And even if it's just sharing my favorite restaurant with the people I'm going to go to eat with, or my favorite color, or being a little bit more vocal in my opinion about something that's going on politically or something in the world or a color choice of painting the walls, whatever it is, being known 
is an important part of our recovery. It's a huge part of our recovery. Now, if you feel like this is a a thing that you are good at and that you feel like you have people in your life that know who you are, that's awesome. What I would encourage you to do and to really think about today is how can I be a little bit more accepting of other people? How can I help other people to feel that way? How can I reach out to those around me and make sure that they feel safe in sharing who they are and and be accepting of that? Maybe take a an inventory, look over at the people around you and ask yourself some basic questions. Do I know their favorite food? <laughs> do I know their favorite color? Do I feel you know, do I feel like I know who they are? Do I feel like I know a little bit about them? Even those basic details go a long way in helping people feel accepted, wanted, loved, and valued. You know, ask yourself, do I know their spouse's name? Do I know their children's name? Could I refer to their siblings, you know, by name? I have a really good friend who is so good at that. She knows all my siblings' names. and She's never met them, but she just knows them and refers to them by name. And it's made a huge impression on me, uh, even just recently as I thought about that, um, about that. So do what you can today to both allow yourself to be a little bit more known and to know and accept people around you a little bit more. And if you're one of those that's just realizing how lonely you are and kind of shut up in this whole like, I'm scared shell of what happens when people know me, I just want you to know that I I know, I don't know you. I don't know all of you. I don't know all of you at all. And so many times that's so hard for me because I get on this podcast and I think, oh my gosh, 800 people are going to listen to this episode and I don't even know their names more than 800 people, but it's, uh, it's a little scary for me sometimes. But I want you to know that I do love and accept you. And that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how shameful you feel, how lonely you feel, how unknown you feel, I want you to know that you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I was one of those people that just thought I could disappear off the face of the planet and nobody would really notice or know me or even come looking for me. If that's how you feel... I want you to know that I know I see you. I might not physically see you, but I think about you all the time because I've been there. And so I see you. And I hope that today you can make efforts to be a little bit more known and know that I think about you and I pray for all of you. And I love you guys so much because you are what supports me and keeps me going. All of those women in recovery out there, everywhere, whatever you're in recovery from. So I hope that that sets in today. And I hope that uh, my message got across in a way that felt meaningful for you because it has been meaningful for me. So with that, I will let you go. Until next time, Amy.
stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.